Welcome to the CRE with Cobalt Banker Commercial Worldwide Podcast. My name is Christina Ballas, the National Director of Strategic Implementation for CBC, and I'll be your host today. Today, we are joined by Marissa Limshako, who for over the past 20 years has broken barriers as part of a small percentage of women who graduated from West Point, led soldiers into combat, and today leads a company revolutionizing the commercial real estate industry. She is the recipient of West Point's prestigious Army Athletic Association trophy, a decorated combat veteran, and named one of the most influential women in commercial real estate. In an environment where only 2.3% of venture capital goes to women, Marissa has raised millions for her companies. She is the president and co-founder of OSTO, which offers insurance protection for deal costs and risks in commercial real estate leases with comprehensive coverage for build-out costs, commissions, and more. This allows landlords increased protection against defaults while unlocking essential capital for tenants. She's here today to talk to us about her incredible career, her belief in lifting others up in the commercial real estate industry, and how she leads with gumption and grit. Welcome, Marissa. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Christina. Wow, what a resume. I'm so excited to jump in and learn about your journey. So I'll let you kick off and introduce yourself and talk to us a little bit about how you got to where you are today. Yeah, thank you. So, um, yeah, my name is Marissa Limshako. I'm co-founder and president of OTSO. And as, as you described in the, in the intro that, you know, we do. So my, my career started, I went to West Point. So the first part of my career was in the military. I got my Iraq t-shirt deployed um, to combat in 06, 08. And then the better part of the last decade has actually been spent in commercial real estate. I transitioned out and between commercial real estate and entrepreneurship. So I've started four companies. Three out of four has been in the industry. And we're just super excited for what OTSO is bringing to the industry and um, the change and increased protection we're providing landlords and leases. That's great. I'd love for you to talk about what brought you to the commercial real estate industry and then how you developed also as well as some of your other companies. I know, I was, spoiler alert, I was reading and I know you are big on creatively solving problems, but I'd love for you to talk to us about how you got here. Yes. So as far as being an entrepreneur, that was never an option I considered growing up. I, I'm the daughter of, of immigrants who were all in the healthcare industry and all the people around me for the most part growing up were in traditional jobs. So I had no idea what this whole entrepreneur thing was. But as you grow up, you learn more about yourself and, and discover what you love to do. And even kind of like looking back at, back at my military experience, the way I approached problem solving and try to like pitch on new ideas. Uh, I've kind of been like this, you know, this is who I am. <laughs> so there are really three things I realized I love that I, I aligned well with becoming an entrepreneur, I'd say. And I think number one is a creator solutions, like you said, and, and then I, I love to learn. And then number three, I think one of the most important things I realized is that ownership of my time matters more to me than even like money and being my own boss is, is something that's important to me. As far as coming to the commercial real estate industry, it wasn't anything that I had ever planned or you know aimed to be in. It had just been through opportunities, through colleagues or family friends. And as I kind of dipped my toes in, 
more so in the beginning, like more on the transactional side of the business, I realized there's a lot of, of greenfield and opportunity for innovation. As you very well know, there's there's a lot of uh, opportunity for innovation. And I, and I think that resistance to change was also a motivator to me. So yeah, that, that's how I ended up in the industry and just kind of got on this journey of seeing problems and trying to solve them in various ways. And, and here I am today. The problem behind OTSO and how we started OTSO, um, my business partners and I, as landlords and owners, were frustrated with that gap and lack of protection when we did leases between like the deal costs and the fees that we put down to get a space occupied and the collateral that we ultimately collected from the tenant. And so we were like, how do we close that gap and gain protection and essentially sign every lease with confidence and strength? Um, there's definitely, and every landlord and owners had that kind of deal that broke their heart and the tenant defaulted and they lost all that money up front. And so we were like, how do we make our world uh, landlords more feel more protected in our world and avoid those situations? And so we just started out from kind of like our own problems and realized there was no solution, no optimal solution for it in the industry. And so we sought out to build it. And two and a half years later, um, like here we are, it worked for our own properties. And we realized this was something that we needed to share with the rest of the industry. That's amazing. I think it would be great to hear how did you go from needing a solution, finding the solution, developing the solution, and then really kicking that off into a company fundraising, you know, how did you even know what to do? Well, I think number one, I had the advantage of been, I've done it before. So it was my fourth business um, and, and the second one that I've, I've raised capital from. So that really plays into kind of knowing where to navigate, having already established connections in the industry to going after people that would be interested in investing. But yeah, like from the start, it was just like, we were seeing a similar model, a similar product just take off in the multifamily space. And so, yes, like every there, this is the solution was just taking off in the multifamily space. And we're just like, why isn't there a solution in, in the commercial space? And what we realized was the underwriting process and evaluating tenants, credit and financials isn't isn't easy. It's not like personal credit. And we knew that was if we could solve that problem and figure out how to make decisions that landlords can trust. And, you know, when we were developing our underwriting algorithm, we worked with landlords and we were like, what matters to you? I mean, credit, financials, like bank statements, you know, like what, how much are they, you know, how much do they have in their bank at any certain period of time? And so we took all that feedback from other landlords and we essentially ended up developing an algorithm to make that decision. And as we tested the algorithm, we were like, wow, like this, we can actually do this pretty fast and we can even automate this. And so we got it so well as like anything under a hundred thousand dollars, we can approve in literally minutes at this point. Think like, rocket mortgage for this industry, right? Um, and, yeah. and we knew that was important and we realized we could do that. The next step was, okay, well, how do you start an insurance company? Which is something I hadn't done before. <laughs> um, and so we had to kind of, you know, call on our contacts and learn. And right when we were coming to market and kind of trying to figure this out, COVID hit. And so 
that kind of forced us in some ways to just be like, okay, well, right now in the current environment, there is no insurer or bank that's going to back these deals. So why don't we just prove this out ourselves? And we were lucky enough to have enough ourselves personally to be able to get, we could do these smaller deals and see landlords adopt us with like, you know, one to $10,000 that we can back to just prove it out in the market and, and go from there. And what we found was not only did the market take it, and so in the beginning, we were backing every policy ourselves as like guarantees, right? Mm-hmm. So what we were finding is it's like the market not only took it, but we started getting demand for like bigger deals. And it got to the point where my business partners and I were like, we don't feel comfortable backing these ourselves. <laughs> and so we got together and we're just like, okay, well, we have enough data. We have enough proof in the pudding now to bring this to an insurer. And so that's what we knew we had to solve in 2021 was get a big insurer to allow us to meet the demand that the market's, you know, showing us. And so we took the next step and partnered with an insurance company that now backs every single one of our deals. So they took that risk even off of us. <laughs> and it's a $2.5 billion AM best rated insurer that's backing every policy that's allowing us to cover um, up to half a million dollars at, at this current moment in, in uh, policies per deal. That's incredible. What a great solution. And it's amazing that you were able to really kind of take that risk in the beginning to prove it out when times were really uncertain in the beginning of COVID. That's, that's a great success story. Thank you. I always tell entrepreneurs, yeah. you have to try, like, right? And they're the, the biggest failure for an entrepreneur is not to try. It's not that it didn't work out. Like, it's if you're just sitting around making assumptions and not testing the market and not not putting it out there, like you're never going to (laughs) know. And so I think as I've gotten older and matured and learned more as an entrepreneur, my biggest thing is if I have an idea in my head, even if it's a side project that I like to work as a passion project on the weekends that have nothing to do with my business, I'm going to try to like figure out how to just even test the market with it. Right. And, uh, and so that's one of the biggest things I've learned is you have to be able to take those risks and you have to be able to figure out like how to test and and bring it out there. Otherwise you're not going to get anywhere. Absolutely. That is so important. And you and I had a previous conversation and me saying that is something key to to, to my story too, is just jump in, try what's the worst that can happen kind of a thing. And obviously I'm not a surgeon, so (laughs) the worst that can happen is not really going to affect someone else's life. I can't help but think that some of that comes from, Maybe your upbringing, the fact that you deviated from kind of what your family traditionally was doing um, and that, you know, you decided to go to West Point. So I'd love to kind of almost go backwards in time and think about what brought you to those decisions to just try something that was clearly different from what you saw around you. Yes, I think for me personally, it was being raised by immigrants and having a father that's like, you're in this country opportunity is go after it, go after anything you want. That's, that's what this country is about. Right. And so to put it simply, as I was looking at colleges and and candidly, West Point was never on my like list of colleges. I was recruited for tennis, um, at the division one college at the end of the day, and they have division one sports. And so I, I was recruited by the, by the coach and I was like, well, this is the best opportunity. And I knew that despite it being this it's obviously a very different college experience than most that I would come out on the other side with valuable skill sets and valuable experiences that I can take on, you know, for the rest of my life. And so 
yeah, that was why I simply made the decision to go is it was like the best opportunity in front of me from a perspective of being like the only, only woman and not having a lot of women go through it. I think it was again, like part of like my upbringing and that my dad was just like, you can do anything that you put your mind up to. And even if guys, guys can do it, there's women that are attending, you can do this too. You could, you could do just as well as the guys and, and never having anyone hold me back on, on, on a mindset of like, you know, women can't do this or, or that. Right. It's so interesting. You know, I have a similar experience growing up with immigrant father and, you know, I, there's something special about love for country when you know, you know, you're here because people really tried hard to get here. And then just understanding the gravity of making sure you take every opportunity that's been afforded to you that your previous generation before you didn't have. And that seems to, to be a, a similarity between the two of us. Absolutely. Yeah. And at the same um, time, too, we got to serve our country, right? My sister actually yeah. went to West Point as well. So there are two two of us that, you know, deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan and were able to, you know, serve the country proudly. I know that's something that my family, you know, especially my parents being immigrant parents are extremely proud of that we were able to to do that, you know, to a country that's been so amazing to them. Yeah, absolutely. That's incredible that you and your sister both able to serve. I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about your time in the army and kind of the, the biggest takeaways that you had, you know, for you personally, especially being a woman in the army and a, a decorated one at that. <laughs> yes, I think the army from a perspective of, of my biggest, my biggest takeaways was, you know, these valuable lessons that I learned in leadership and, and going through those, through those experience. I gained like a ton of confidence. I didn't realize until I got out of the military that not everybody has this like specific training on how to be a leader. And I went to like the college for that. <laughs> um, and, and so those those lessons were extremely valuable. And, and at that point too, I had also the opportunities of testing my own leadership style and seeing what's effective and how to be a successful leader. At, at the end of the day, being a leader is, you, you realize it's just, it's being able to motivate people and wherever they are in their life, right? And, and what that's what people don't realize sometimes. It's just as simple as like caring for people and figuring out what motivates them to go towards the shared vision that you have as a team. So that was really special. And I got to experience that as a captain of my tennis team. I got to experience that as a platoon leader um, leading over, you know, a hundred soldiers in Iraq. I, I ran the fuel and army refuel point in Northern Iraq at the time. And then I got back and I had the opportunity to have a command when I commanded over a hundred people and I kind of look back at that experience and I'm like, wow, I was, I was only like 27 years old in charge of like yeah. all of these people's lives, essentially. And then going back to what you said earlier, when I stress now, I'm like, well, at the end of the day, like no one's going to die. <laughs> I make the wrong decision. Yep. So, totally. so um, everything will, everything will be okay. And I, I do have to remind myself of that sometimes when, you know, being in our world, things inevitably always get stressful in one way or another. I think my biggest takeaway and, and one of the biggest accomplishments that I'm personally proud of was my was my time in Iraq, where I was responsible for all the basically refueling and arming of helicopters going in and out of battle. And I inherited a few acres of land and uh, fuel systems. 
And long story short, the fuel system that we inherited was not very like fast at all. Like it was taking 20 to 25 minutes to fill a Blackhawk, 40 to 45 minutes to, to fill a Chinook helicopter. And what I was able to do was convince my lead, come up with a solution with my team to make it faster. Um, and in the military, there's things called like training manuals and everything is done like a certain way. <laughs> so this system was built the way the army policies had, you know, like it was, it was built in a certain way. And I believe that we could make it better. And, but I had to like sell that all the way up to like the general in Iraq. Cause I had a very high visibility operation. If I was down, like helicopters couldn't get in and out of the fight. Right. So there was like that balance of, oh, I want to make this better, but there's, there's always also a lot of risk if something were to go wrong. And so long story short, we were able to um, reconfigure, we got approval, we were able to reconfigure the system and we got helicopters coming in and out thousands times percentage faster. So like a Blackhawk was coming in and out one and a half minutes. Uh, Chinook was coming wow. in and out like 10 minutes. And so I'm really proud of that because of the teamwork that we displayed um, with my platoon but also just the impact that it had for pilots, you know, going in and out of the fight at that point. We were able to increase our volume significantly, as you can imagine. And this was around the time the surge happened. So it was good timing as well. And again, yeah, I'm just like grateful for my leadership for, you know, give, believing in me and giving me that opportunity. I was like 22, 23 years old <laughs> at the time. But um, I'd say from my experience, that was one of the most special ones was that, was that project. I mean, that is incredible, like literally chills. And I'm not saying that to be, you know, it is not a figurative thing. That is incredible. What a, what a, what a difference that change made. And the fact that you were confident enough, and I guess, you know, between the Army or your experience, you know, providing you that confidence to really pitch it all the way up. I mean, that's still, even in an environment where you can be confident, that's still really daunting. Yeah. And I um, joke, I think it was also, you know, being that young. <laughs> Too. Yeah, sure. and, and just being like, oh, okay, I'm just, you don't really think of politics or bureaucracy because you don't really know. <laughs> and I was just like, well, I see a problem here. I want to figure this out. I, I, I might have approached it differently now, but I wouldn't maybe have not been too bullish, but perhaps being bullish and with that kind of naivety of being a young person helped really push it through. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. One thing that, you know, I thought kind of weaves into what you're doing between your work from the army and having the tenacity to try to do to create change in a process that wasn't as efficient is just thinking about our industry in the commercial real estate space and how it tends to be resistant to change. And so when you're in a, a the tech industry trying to make solutions that help, you know, help businesses run more efficiently and faster and better. How do you convince people in an industry that tends to sometimes be, you know, a little change resistant? I don't think it's sometimes it's, it's, it's all the time. And I don't blame <laughs> the industry for that. It's, yeah. I think it's a, it's, there's a lot of different factors that come into play. Um, I mean, I think number one is resistance to change in general, when you have generations of wealth in this industry, right, that have done things a certain way and have seen the ups and downs and have still survived and done really well. So you have kind of like that one pillar. Another pillar is, especially in the last decade, despite millions and millions of dollars getting poured into like new technology and solutions in this space, there's still a lot of like failures, right? And so that was, there, there's a lot of kind of like reasons, I think, for that. 
But I think ultimately there's also this, this cultural landscape within companies that there were, it was kind of like this turf warfare. You don't really see a lot of collaboration between companies. And I think looking at what we're building with OTSO and what my team is prioritizing as far as positioning ourselves as change makers in this industry it is we know we need to do things differently. And I think to do that, there's kind of like three things is that what we talk about in our company. It's number one is we're embracing partnerships. We're reaching out and we're connecting with other companies that have similar customers to us. We're all serving landlords, right? Or ownership groups. So we're all helping tenants and we're figuring a way to provide more value together and kind of form this united front to, be, to our customers. And so that's that's one way we're, we're especially doubling down on this year. Another thing is, I think, forming deeper relationships with our customers, like the transactional side. There is this big divide in our industry right now between the technology and transactional sides. And I think it's kind of like this lack of trust. And, you know, the transactional people are like, oh, gosh, they're going to sell me something else that's not going to work. And then, like, the technology people are like, oh, they don't want to try anything. <laughs> and so I think that there is this bridge that we're trying to, you know, form, with, especially with, with OTSO, and earning that trust. You need to earn that trust because with trust, you get feedback, you get candid feedback. And as an entrepreneur, that is gold, right? And when you don't have people giving you candid feedback about what needs to be better about your product or admitting, okay, I know I don't have a perfect product. Like, how can you help me out? If you're not having those conversations and forming those relationships, there is going to be no innovation, right? That's that's another kind of factor. And letting the transactional side know, hey, we want to be supplementary and complementary. I think another kind of challenge in our industry is, is companies coming into the space saying, I am going to totally disrupt like everything that's going on and chain. I'm going to replace brokers. And, and that's just not the culture of our industry. You know, people don't want to be replaced and feel like they're being replaced. Yeah. And so we're trying to position ourselves. We are we are nothing but additive, supplementary, and complementary to everything you do. We're, you know, the brokers, we're we're here to like make you set your clients up for better success. For landlords, we're here to help you gain protection, you know, and and sign a release with with strength and confidence. For tenants, we're like, hey, we're here to help you unlock capital that you should, you know, you shouldn't be locking up. And, and I think the key to, to this strategy and going into even like pivoting to OTSO from a previous company was realizing, and not a lot of people understand the symbiotic relationship between the tenant, landlord, and broker in a lease transaction specific to that, right? But understanding what drives each and every one of those and forming those relationships. And then the last kind of like pillar that we prioritize internally as a team is our number one priority is our customer experience and making sure like we literally go every every year we kind of have this discussion around the table it's like at the end of this year how do you what do you want how do we want our customers to feel about us what do we want them saying about us and taking those sentiments and like translating them into okay how do we how do we get to those sentiments right by our actions and so everything that we do is around customer experience and prioritizing that customer experience that is really important i love that so i'm gonna just i i, I took i'm taking notes i'm totally a note taker but you know embracing <laughs> partnerships between embracing partnerships forming deeper relationships and customer experience it feels like a very forward-thinking way of really trying to make shifts in the industry and i i love that because it keeps the focus on 
it positions change as like you said complementary or additive or you know something that can make your life better and easier as opposed to just changing something that you're comfortable with so it almost it kind of takes away that like a, that fear of losing your comfort and kind of most positions it in a way to give you more comfort. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the nuance with being a woman in your industry. And I know that, you know, we mentioned it a little bit at the beginning of the call, but there's just some things that I think are important to highlight about, you know, what you're doing as far as breaking barriers and talking about fundraising and just wanted to hit on some of that and maybe to inspire some people to feel empowered to do it for themselves also. Sure. So where did you kind of learn that you, A, needed to fundraise or where did you even begin to understand how to do that? Did you have a mentor? Did you have other people on a board that helped walk you through it? Or did you just kind of, you know, do some research and just jump in? The latter, a hundred percent. And as far as, you know, what was really frustrating, especially back then, you know, this was seven years ago now, was the lack of, of women representation as, as founders in our industry. I, I didn't have any women mentors or just like in general, like other founders that were willing to be like, hey, I see you're, you're starting, um, whether it be a woman or a man, you know, like, hey, you're a new company. Like, hey, let me, let me, I'm going to teach you how this works. So it was very much so trial and error and just like kind of like cutting my teeth on like, I'm just going to reach out to thousands and thousands of investors and learn along with you. As you do that, you're talking to more and more people pitching. You learn along the way how to be more efficient with your time, how to target the right investors and all that, you know, how to improve your pitch, how to ask for feedback. And so, but yeah, for the most part, it was just, I mean, ultimately doing investing and and raising funds is a big sales job, right? Like, like you're going out there and you're doing what's that you're doing cold calls, you're doing emails. And so, and then I'd done that type of work before. So I knew, I knew the effort that it would take, but. Yeah, I, I wish I certainly had more support. Yeah, and it took a little, probably a little bit longer to figure it out than if I would have, but I did. And, you know, today, uh, any entrepreneur that's raising money, I'm more than happy to help because I don't want anyone else, especially women, to go through what I went through. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Why do you think, what's your perspective on why such a small percentage of venture capital goes to women? Is it just that it's, it, well, I'll just leave it open-ended. What do you think is the block if there is one? I think it's a lot. I mean, it's look at the makeup of who's giving the money away. <laughs> it's a lot of men, <laughs> you know? And so, and there just also hasn't been as, as many women that have been successful. And when you, when you're going into something and when you when you're going in as a woman for example and you're seeing left and right women not getting money that's really discouraging and could even discourage other women from from even trying right and so i think i think that's like the biggest issue is just kind of the landscape being made up of men however as we're seeing women as consumers is a big thing there's big numbers associated with that so you're starting to see those numbers go up a little bit. I can't even imagine. I don't even know what it's 2.3% now. I don't even know what it was seven years ago. <laughs> sure. Less than that even. But I think it definitely comes up to the landscape. And just like if you look at commercial real estate and then on our landscape in our industry, and I can't tell you how many women have been like, oh, I tried being in that industry, but yeah, I just, it was, it was just too many males or I was like the only woman in the room and just didn't 
like that environment anymore. And so uh, that, that, I think that's one of the biggest reasons. You know, I, I sometimes think, you know, I have a lot of conversations about women in the commercial real estate space. And sometimes when I talk to folks, they really don't love being, for me to discuss the fact that their gender makes them special in the industry because it's like, hey, I work hard, you know. And so there's that aspect of it that I wonder, how do we both feel like we're not getting an opportunity, quote unquote, just because we're a woman, because I don't know that that's a real thing. But there's that emotion that goes with it. But then also, how are you lifting women up, talking about being a woman in the space, but then not disenfranchising your male counterparts that are your sometimes your financial decision makers? Yeah, so I think I heard two questions there. And like, kind of like the first yeah. was that one around like women in our industry claiming it's like they don't want to be about like their gender breaking barriers, right? I don't want to be yeah. like that woman. And I personally feel that that's a result of wanting to just kind of like blend in as much as possible. And I used to be like that. I, I, I thought that way as well. It's like, oh, don't like, you know, don't call me out as being like the only woman. But in the last year, I have radically changed my perspective on that. And as I reflect on my entire career, if you really, if I really look at it in the midst of it, it has been about gender breaking barriers, you know, like West Point, Army, the industry that I'm in, just because of the simple fact that there aren't a lot of women who are expected yet even allowed at, at some point in history to attempt to accomplish what I've accomplished or other women have accomplished, right? And you and I talked about this before. It's so important. And I think what has the conclusion that I've come to and changing my mindset on this is for other women to come into our industry, younger women, they have to see it to be it. I didn't know. I didn't see any other women growing up. Despite, like I mentioned, as a woman founder, even there was no other women. And for it not to be a gender breaking barrier to get to that point where you're not you're not doing like gender breaking barrier, you're not breaking them means there's equality established. And for to us to get to equality means there, for that to happen, you need to inspire these young women or girls to see, oh, wow, it's impossible. So I can do it too. So I'm going to go try. So on the other hand, though, I think women like me are seen to be this kind of like small outlier group and, and this is by both men and women you know obviously it's like oh wow like you're not like other women you know guys saying like you know you're, you're different right and there's like and other women looking at you like wow I, I i can never do that and yeah it takes courage and grit to do the things to to navigate this space but at the end of the day i'm not superpowers i'm not a superhero and i think that's what needs to change too is this mindset that oh because you're like the only woman like you're the you really are the only woman that can do this <laughs> <laughs> you know, mm. but like I work hard, I don't quit. And when you look at the makeup of women just for existing in our society, every woman just just because of the nature of our society, we, we got to have grit. You know, we have to we got to have grit yeah. built in there. It's in us already. And women just need to realize that for themselves. Like I can I can do this, too. And so th that's my I, I think especially now and that's that's why i'm doing the work i do around like building women tribes and just being reaching out to as many women as i can in this industry you and i talked about this i, I didn't realize the power of knowing other women until until recently and when i look back at at one point i was like why is this experience harder for me than west point and even deploying a combat right not from a you know, obviously mental and I might die, but just from a perspective of being a woman in a space. And I look back and I realize that 
when I was at West Point, I was surrounded. I played tennis and I had my the women on the tennis team with me and we ate every meal together. We traveled together. The upperclassmen set us up really. This is what you need to do to be successful. Like here, here, here. And when I went to the military, same thing. When I was in Iraq, you know, I had soldiers die and I was very fortunate to have two of my best friends, one, two of my best uh, women friends from West Point who played tennis with me there. And that was like a game changer for me. One of them even flew me around Iraq, you know, <laughs> like in a helicopter, the helicopter pilot. And so I had that in, the, in those end of the phase of my life. And I didn't realize how important that was until I met other women in the last year, year and a half in our industry and formed relationships with them. And us just like really, we neither, none of us like realized like how alone we were until we kind of just like formalized and formed this group that needs to bring up. And so that's, that's so, so important. And, and that's why I kind of like dedicate a lot of my time. It's not enough to just sitting. I used to think maybe it's just enough for me to sit here and you know do a podcast every now and then or or like just be featured for being a woman in the industry that's that's not enough i realize i I need to be doing more i want to be doing more otherwise like changes are going to happen that's amazing i fully agree that having a tribe of women is like what gets you through and that's just my own personal experience too i think i don't know maybe it's something that goes back to to just like the caveman time or cave women time you know where you just had a tribe of people really kind of showing you the way and being your support. I don't know if it's something that's built into our psyche, but it is, it's really helpful. And I think see it to be it is so important. I think, uh, you know, it shouldn't take, I don't know, I guess my opinion is it shouldn't be this thing where you have to be brave and take risks to just be in an industry because you happen to be one of the few. And so to normalize and to balance out the, the gaps there, I think is so important for the future and for the other generations that, that are coming up so that it's not special. Like, that would be great. <laughs> would be totally yeah, great. no, I mean, and it's not only women, especially, it's not even women. Either. Yeah, it's just especially, it's, it's like people of color, minorities. I mean, there's there's still a lot of growth that needs to happen in, in those areas. And, and you had asked a question too, Christina, on the kind of how I've navigated through balancing actions of like lifting lifting women up but also like you know trying to get funding from mostly male decision makers and so i guess on that topic i have a question there's this reality that most investors and vcs you know are men like i mentioned earlier (laughs) and that includes the majority that that are on our cap table do i wish there were more women absolutely but the, the reality of the landscape especially in commercial real estate investing and and new technology investing is is mostly men but ultimately conducting business for me personally it's values it's ethics it's relationship based now i'm not asked i'm not going around asking every man hey hey what's your stance on supporting women you know like left and right and i I do believe actions speak louder than words and, and our world is also very small and i've got both men and women like that i'm like hey what do you think of this investor is this someone that's a good cultural fit you know that that is so important as an entrepreneur to know that like whoever's investing in you aligned with your with your values and the ethics that you carry for your company now does everybody turn out not everybody turns out the way they first showed up and Sometimes it's it's all you have going for you is to take kind of like these first impressions and or these initial interactions with someone and you've realized, you know, they're not just the way you expected. And I've, I've absolutely made those kind of mistakes on decisions, but therein lies the grave or not so black and white world, right? But I do believe that 
positive change for women will not come without the support of our male allies, like to men supporting women. And that's why it's not only important for me to be surrounded by women cheerleaders and having my own tribe, but I also have, and I'm fortunate that maybe it's just in the, how I make decisions on who I work with, like every man that I work with supports me and wants to see more women in the industry and wants to support women, especially my, my business partners are amazing. And so that that's just as important to me is men realizing, oh, I have a part in this too, right? Yep. I mean, allyship is absolutely key. And and honestly, it, it benefits everyone. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's helpful to have other people take that pressure and load too, you know, and for things to feel equitable. For women also helps their male counterparts also feel like they have partnership that they don't have to carry, you know, whatever weight that they, you know, that some people might feel they carry. It goes both ways. That's awesome to have such strong allies. Yeah, I'm very grateful. Um, that's amazing. Okay, well, you know, we've talked a little bit about, you know, your past, current, and I really wanted to pick your brain about what your goals are for 2022. So obviously, 21, you had a lot of a lot of changes, and what's in store for you this year? Yes, I think um, my main priority from a business standpoint is growing and being able to accommodate higher than half a million. So expanding our ability to to back these bigger deals and bigger landlords and just increase our volume overall and, and scale kind of like hockey, looking at the hockey stick kind of scale is, is what our goal is for this year. And I think from a personal and from actually along the that is just, again, what do we want our customers to feel at the end of this year? And our goal for that is we want them to know it's like, go so with someone, something is a company that I trust that will take care of me in this lease and helps me get leases done and helps helps me you know optimize my portfolio that that's how we want them to feel or as a business owner like oh they saved me all of this capital from a personal standpoint it's increasing advocacy for women in our industry and just women in general growing a women's group that i've started with some of the most influential women in the industry who now you're a part of that group which i'm excited about christina and so expanding my efforts you know around that and growing that group and i think last is just there's like a lot of like other side like personal goals. I feel I'm always just trying to learn. And so like, I've, I've got kind of like a music, I've got music on the side that I play and I'm trying to produce some new music and, and stuff like that. But what I've learned as an entrepreneur is like, I found myself at times in life, just like all I had was my business and everything like wake up, sleep, like the weekends. And that's just not sustainable from a perspective of being happy. <laughs> and so yeah. it, it's important to find other things that bring you that joy and and you know uh, for me too it's like also like focusing on ensuring like my family my relations my friends you know those those things are involved as well but um yeah those are those are my goals for the year that is a really great set of goals i will say i the last part of you saying that you know you need to make sure that there's balance and you find what brings you joy amen to that because i feel like that is one thing covid i'm in new jersey so we were isolated for quite a while, but that really kind of shook me into thinking about what I enjoy that is just for me. And so that is something I concentrate a lot on on my personal time as well, is just finding that joy and, and sticking to it, having a commitment to yourself to stick to things that make you happy. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this has been an incredible conversation. I am so thankful to have you as our guest. And, you know, I just, for our guests, wanted to 
kind of recap some of the things that I thought were, were really special, but I'd love to hear if you wanted, you know, someone to have a takeaway, what that would be to you. But for me, the big, the big things are this concept of trust and relationship building, you know, both in personal and professional, but specifically with, you know, relationships at work as far as OTO and companies. And so the idea of trust and relationship building was big for me. And then, you know, the customer experience piece, sometimes we think about it very much in a UX kind of way. And I think thinking about feelings and the emotion that's attached to that is so important. And so for me, that was a big takeaway is that it's not just about a good experience, whether it's in a tech platform or whatever, but it's about a holistic feeling that goes with a lot of your company core values. So that to me was, was great. But I'd love to hear if there was anything else you wanted our guests to take away from today. Um, no, I think th- those were those were like the biggest things. I think, you know, just staying open to innovation. Every one of us can be change makers in this industry. And for women in the industry, you know, take up that space and find your women tribe. I am personally always happy to connect with any women in our industry. So feel free to contact me. If you have my contact information, I guess we'll share them at the end. But, uh, but yeah, those are mine. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for bringing me into the mix. I'm thrilled to be part of your list of women in commercial real estate and can't wait to talk to you further about that. And if you can let us let our guests know how they can connect with you, what's the best platform or and that way they know how to reach out. Yeah, LinkedIn or Twitter are, are my two big social media platforms. So primarily LinkedIn. So find me on LinkedIn, Marissa Lomshako, and I'm happy to connect that way. Awesome. Thank you so much. For those of you that are listening, if you liked this episode, please like or subscribe to our podcast. And we look forward to you coming back, hopefully. And we'll hopefully we'll get to meet in person. So maybe the conversation yes. will continue. Awesome. Thanks, Christina. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you.